times. So we're in lesson nine. You and I have been studying uh, the gates of Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. And I think this is one of the most fascinating studies I have ever been involved in. You and I have taken the, the gate of the Dung Gate and the Valley Gate. We are now arriving at the Fountain Gate. And we, are, uh, we have um, connected and linked several things to this fountain, which we're going to find out is actually a river of living water. And we are going to connect it, you see in the upper corner there, to the Gihon Spring, which we're going to talk about, and to that pool of Siloam, which is where he sent the man who was born blind from uh, birth, and we uh, talked about that last week. And we're going to link all this today to the Feast of Tabernacles. And you're thinking, Francine, how are we going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles with all of this? Oh, it's a great lesson. So God just, he continues to show me things that I didn't see when I did this series in 2014. So what if I got up here and taught you exactly what I knew in 2014? Shame on me because I'm supposed to be studying and learning and growing. So there's things today that I didn't know how many years ago, about six, nine years, nine years, mercy, let's move on. Okay, so I'm going to show this picture again because I think this is one of the most impressive graphics illustrating this gate. In the upper right corner, you see the Gihon Spring. Remember, this is the spring that I believe was in the Garden of Eden. It is the eternal spring and represents God the Father who's going to send the living water to the earth. And remember, it's on the outside of Jerusalem. Don't forget, this is God's dwelling place. You and I always think of yourself. I'm God's dwelling place, true? If you're born again, he lives within you. So we've got to get the water that's out here in the ground. It's got to get inside the dwelling place. And so here's our graphic. How is he going to get the water and link it into the pool of Siloam? This was their pool, which was for cleansing and purification. And they had to go there to get clean and pure before they could ascend to the temple and go into God's presence. So how did the water get there? Well, he had a tunnel by Hezekiah, and that tunnel was formed and chipped out. Think of all the scars on that rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. It's about six football fields in length. And it was Jesus Christ, the solid rock. So they got it out of the ground. It was sent through the solid rock to the pool of Siloam. And then that's where we're going to get purified. And all that is such a great picture to me. And I remember it. And I remember what it's, what it's saying to me when I see the graphic. So this water that wound up in the pool of Siloam, they called it Che or living water. Very important. And then we saw last week, it was, that's where he sent the man who was born blind. And today, we're taking all of this that you see and that we've talked about, and we're going to link it to the Feast of Tabernacles and a water-drawing ceremony and how important it was in their life. Now, and we're in the book of John. So in the book of John, he is wanting us to see from, very, from the very first chapter, first verse. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Is Jesus God? Is he the Godhead in fullness? He is the Word of God. 
So John starts, and he says, as you read my book, read the book of John, he says, I want you to see Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you learned about in the Old Testament. Everything. So everything that was in the tabernacle, every piece of furniture, Jesus is it all. And so you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, and John's going to tell you about it in the New Testament. And you're going to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. So as we examine the Feast of Tabernacles, John wants us to see Jesus fulfilled everything that's going to happen as they celebrate this feast. He starts in John 1, and then in verse 14, he said, The Word was made flesh, and it dwelt. What is dwelt? He tabernacled. See, we're going to have the Feast of Tabernacles. And he dwelt or tabernacled among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John's trying to tell us in chapter 1, he's fully God, fully human. Right? Okay. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about the children of Israel. God's brought them out in the wilderness, and Moses is going to strike the rock. What comes out of the rock? water to sustain them physically and Paul's going to tell you that rock was Jesus Christ so we know that and then when we get John 6 33 John's going to tell you he is the bread of life all of those I am statements in the book of John he is the fulfillment of the manna that God sustained them uh, with their food every day for all those years in the wilderness now when John gets through he said, you people are going to have to accept Jesus Christ as I present him, or you're going to have to reject him and say he's a fraud and a deceiver. You have two choices. He's either everything I'm saying, that's who he is, or he's not. And the people will have a choice to make. If we start the book of John in chapters 1 through 4, there's very little opposition to Jesus going on at that point. But we come to chapter 5, and Jesus now is going to be accused, and he's going to be opposed. Oh, we have some Jewish religious leaders that are going to rise up. We have them everywhere. So we've got some Pharisees and Sadducees that are going to rise up in Jerusalem, and they are going to shake their finger and get all over him because he healed a paralytic on the Sabbath. See, he broke a rule, according to them, right? So he's beginning to get in trouble. We go to John 6, and in John 6, John is going to record Jesus is out feeding the 5,000. And they're all interested in the physical food, right? And in the miracle. But what happens when he starts talking about discipleship and commitment? We have a large departure because not everyone wants to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. So he has fed the 5,000, and here's one of the other I am statements. He is who? The bread of life. Now, we're coming to John 7, and now we're going to have a turning point in the book of John. The, the uh, opposition against Jesus is going to rise. It's going to get more fierce, and it's going to get more broad-based. In fact, from John 7 to the end of his public ministry, there's going to be a deepening hostility, and you can follow from 7, 8, 9, 10, and keep going, and the hostility is going to increase against Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 and 8 are called the Tabernacles Discourse. Why? Because they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in 7 and 8. 
So it recounts Jesus' visit. He's gone to Jerusalem. And remember, this is one of the feasts that all of the men in Israel were required to attend every year. So according to Josephus, who was a secular writer during this time, he said the city of Jerusalem would have a million to two million people extra in the city because they were required to be there. So you can imagine we have wall-to-wall -wall people in the city. Can you imagine all the dung gate, all the stuff that has to be taken to the dung gate because of all these extra people? They, it must have been like going to Arizona in the winter when all those snowbirds come up. I had a sister-in-law in Arizona, and she didn't like the winter because all the, am I right? Yeah, all the snowbirds would come. Yeah, okay. We're back to Jesus in Jerusalem now. Okay. And this is the possibility of his arrest, and they're going to have a debate now. Is he really the Messiah? So that's what's going to go on in chapter 7 and 8. Now this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, this is the most jubilant feast. This is a time of joy and celebration. So the people are ecstatic. And so, but it's a difficult time for Jesus. Because this feast right here is going to mark the beginning of open and militant opposition to him and his ministry. And the Pharisees are really going to start seeking him out to cause him trouble and persecution. From this chapter on, 7 and 8, as we follow his life now, his public ministry is going to become more dangerous and more dangerous. And Jesus is going to be walking that lonesome road to the cross but it starts in chapter 7 so he goes up to the feast in due course and there he's going to give a teaching that is appropriate to the occasion of why they are even there Jesus is going to use two traditional symbols y'all will be looking for them from the feast of tabernacles there were two things and two I am statements are going to come out of this feast he says, I want to help you understand who I am and what I have to offer you. And so these two things in John 7, we're going to see water is a symbol. And in John 8, we're going to see light. And both of these things happen at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7 and 8. Now the Jews, and I'm telling you this so you don't go looking in the Bible for the water drawing ceremony. Okay? They added, because the, the uh, instructions for the Feast of Tabernacles is back here in the Old Testament. All right? Now, they are going to add the two rituals that you and I are going to talk about, but it's tradition. And the reason I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead. That sounds like great English. The reason I'm going to tell you about these is because they really symbolize what was going on. So it had a lot of meaning to them. So they've added these two extra rituals. And we remember at this feast, they are to be reminded of the blessings that God gave, put out on their ancestors during the 40 years of the wilderness. That's one reason they're celebrating. So they are going to pour water out. Where are we going to get the water? From the living water of the pool of Siloam. See, y'all all know that now. If you were just reading that and didn't know all that, you would think, oh, they're getting water out of a swimming pool. No. 
This is one that living water for purification and cleansing. And so they're going to have a water drawing ceremony, and we're going to think about that rock that gave water in the, in the wilderness. Now, the other thing he's going to, they're going to do is in chapter 8, I'm just mentioning it, but we're not going to go there. We don't have time. But he also is going to tell them he's the light of the world in chapter 8. And during this festival, they would take the temple square and they would have four huge candlesticks that are about 75 foot, feet each. And they would light them, and it says that it would light the entire place and even all over the city of Jerusalem. So this is significant when he says, I am the light of the world. And they're remembering that pillar of fire that led them at night. Now, y'all are getting the scene in your mind of where we are. We're in Jerusalem. We're at the temple. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, the water is going to be poured out on the altar and this is when Jesus is going to step out and cry scream almost so they can hear if any man thirst let him come to me and they're still pouring the water out all right so you see he is answering their question but what's happening they're still doing it not paying any attention to the one who's offering them the water and to the temple crowd the same thing they're fascinated by all the lights and they have priests that climb these 75 foot ladders and they have to keep putting oil in there to keep the light going and Jesus stands and proclaims I am the light of the world and they're still busy doing everything all their rituals what a tragedy that the Jews were very very careful to maintain their tradition but they missed the Messiah he's right there in their midst that can be very true of us today. Very true of us today. We get so caught up with our traditions and our rituals, my checklist, I've got to check off my boxes, and what happens to my relationship? He's right there wanting to have a relationship with me, and I'm busy doing all my activities. I was guilty doing all my activities. It's almost like, I need to be on another committee. I'm not spiritual enough yet. Hello. That is not going to make you spiritual, believe me. And then all of these other things. You know, I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm playing the piano. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And what happens? I completely miss the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this is a picture that all of you that have been in class with me the last few weeks should recognize. If you start at the top of the screen at the red circle, that's the Temple Mount. So that's where all of this is going to take place. But if you come down the steps, you are going to wind up at the Pool of Siloam where the yellow circle is. We know from our study the past couple of weeks, this is about a fourth of a mile. And from the pool up to the temple, you're going to go a fourth of a mile and you're going to go ascending because you're going to go ascend into God's presence. It's all uphill. And then coming down, you are going down to the pool of Siloam, steps all the way down, and this indicates humility and absolute surrender. And then I'm in there for purification and for cleansing. He cleanses me and I ascend into the presence of God. So this is our setting. You see here they've got all kinds of priests 
They have people blowing trumpets. This is the most joyous occasion of the whole year. So they are ready to celebrate. It's also called the Feast of Booths, or it's called Sukkot. And so it's the same thing as Feast of Tabernacles. Now, a little background here. This takes place in the seventh month. Their seventh month is called Tishri. Okay? Now, it starts on day 15 of Tishri, and it goes through day 21. Now, this year, that would be, for us, it's September 29th to October 6th. So, Feast of Tabernacles is usually mid to late September, might bleed over into October. Now, what's happened before day 15? On day 10, what were they doing? Day of Atonement. The most sober day when they are confessing it's like they're in sackcloth and ashes and they are broken and they are coming before God and they're asking forgiveness. They go to people that have offended them and they go and they try to make things right. This is the most sober day of the year. So that's on day 10. Five days later, I'm in the most joyous time of my life as a Jew. So this is called their time of rejoicing. Israel's passed through the season of repentance. Remember, they did that one day a year. And so what had they been doing? Literally getting all the leaven out of their house with their little brushes and everything, get everything out so that they're ready to celebrate now. So they've passed all of that season. And what's happened? Look at all the produce that is now that they've been able to harvest. The produce of the field, the orchard, all the vineyard, it's all gathered. The granaries, the threshing floors, the olive presses are full. Have they had a great harvest? Yes, because God has provided the rain that they needed in order to have an abundant crop. So they're just excited. Weeks and months of toil and sweat that they've put into the soil have been amply rewarded. I will say in my lifetime, I have never had weeks and toils of sweat in the ground. I am not a gardener. I don't plant. <laughs> okay. But they do. Thank God for his bounty. Ask him, please provide rain for our crops in the coming year. Because if you remember, they have a very dry season of about seven months. So they need the rains to soften the ground so that they can get their crops in. Thousands upon thousands, maybe a million, two million people, are gathering together to remember and celebrate God delivered our ancestors from Egypt, and he brought them out. They're all going to live in a temporary shelter or a little booth now that they've got to create as part of the requirements of this feast. So here's a picture of a little booth somebody might make. Can you imagine these all over the city of Jerusalem in the outskirts? I've seen pictures where some people have a little booth out on their balcony. You know, So they, they make them out of branches and natural things. And this is to remind me of God's providential care for my ancestors 40 years in the wilderness so I now in the present am supposed to live in this little booth okay so you see a family here they have these leafy dwellings that will provide shelter for the pilgrims remember we have people coming from all over Israel and they they make little shelters for them and they come from every direction to attend the feast and this is to remember our ancestors now here's one I found, and it looks like 
I don't think this would have been in the wilderness because they have china and crystal. But anyway, they had their little booth. <laughs> okay, and then think about all these people and all the sacrifices that have to take place. This is one festival where they told, were told, you're going to have to use all 24 divisions of priests here. All the priests are going to be required. One reason, there's going to be 71 bulls, 15 lamb, uh, rams, 105 lambs, 8 goats. We have 199 animals that have got to be sacrificed. Can you imagine all the blood, all the cleanup, all the priests? I mean, this is just going to be a continual thing. Now, this feast is a time of joyous celebration. God wanted them to remember the past, the present, and the future. So we're remembering everything. Now, first of all, God said, I want, you to re I want Israel to remember this scene right here. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt. I delivered them. I opened the Red Sea, and I got them out from under the bondage of Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, who was holding them in bondage. And he, remember what he kept saying to Moses? I will not let them go. I will not let them go. I will not let them go. He didn't want to let any of us go. Right? Now, the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, they are celebrating that and remembering that during this feast. Now, according, if you look at the natural laws of you and I living out in the wilderness for 40 years, every one of us should perish, right? Yes, but they are remembering that God divinely protected them. So you remember those old, uh, those Israelites when they got out in the wilderness? <coughs> Did they remember this? No. They remembered the cucumbers and the onions and, and how good it was. Forget the fact that they were beating us and they were killing our babies and oppressing us. They forgot about that. Deuteronomy 32 talks about how God cared for them and guided them. He said, they found him in a desert land and the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. That was God's care over his people. Remember, we're celebrating. We remember that pillar of fire. That's going to be in the I am the light of the world. Remember the cloud that guided them through the day. This is how they set up in the wilderness during the time of the Israelites. Remember, were they told to camp a certain way? Absolutely. And if we, could had a, if we had had a helicopter back then, we could look down on the camp, and what would we have seen? A cross. It was always in the shape of a cross, and they always, Judah was the largest, Judah was on the east, and to get into God's presence, you had to go through the tribe of Judah, and it meant praise. You enter his presence with praise. So, this was the time I'm remembering when God took them into the promised land. There is the, their inheritance. And he said, you're going to have a place flowing with milk and honey. This is the land that I'm giving you. I'm going to fight your battles. You're going to have victory. And they stood there and they said, but there's giants. And what did he say? I will lead you. I will guide you. I will give you victory. The victory is his. Now, remember when he was getting ready to take him into the land, what did he tell him? You are going to have a house that you didn't build. Who built it? The enemy. And you're going to have food that's already in the granaries. And they are the ones that, get, that did all the work, but it's going to be there for you that first year. 
now we're in the present what does he want them to celebrate now in this day when he's standing there with them and we're at the time of Jesus Christ celebrate God's continued provision for you in the current harvest that they just completed did they have a great harvest yes celebrate it and praise God because if he hadn't given you the rain and the capability you wouldn't have had it he says also this is a time of feasting and you're rejoicing give thanks to God for his bountiful gifts that's what we do in the present and you're going to go live in a little flimsy booth <laughs> and I hope it's not in the heat of the summer or the dead of winter <laughs> okay anyway and it will remind me my ancestors once dwelled in those temporary shelters during those 40 years and they had to be totally dependent on God have you ever lived in the wilderness I'm not talking literally spiritually in the wilderness and you've got to learn to totally depend on him oh I love what we're going to celebrate in the future I'm always I like to look to the future because what ladies there's a future kingdom that's coming and that's what he's telling them we have a kingdom that's coming a literal 1,000 year and Jesus Christ is going to be king of the world and we have a part in it so you are rejoicing you are celebrating for this kingdom that's coming your Messiah is going to come he's going to save you when you receive him and take you into this kingdom so this is a taste of the joy to come we get a taste of it now he said I want you to celebrate the future prophetic purpose of this festival and I just want to say if you don't like prophecy you're going to rip a third of your Bible out you better know prophecy because if you don't know your prophecy you cannot there's no way you can understand God's overall arching plan you must study it and apply it so what is the prophecy tell me my king's coming back to this earth yes now it celebrates there's a scripture in the old testament that says during this time god is going to be a covering a tent or a booth over israel during the kingdom now israel's no longer going to suffer oppression of any ungodly nation have they always been suffering under a pagan nation always but no more when jesus christ comes and sets up his kingdom and so also the prophecies uh, the pro yeah the prof prophets will tell us and describe the topographical changes that are coming in Israel I'm sure most of you know every mountain's going to be lowered every valley's going to be exalted Jerusalem is going to become the highest place on the earth and there is a plateau up there that is 50 miles square and everybody's want to will go to Jerusalem to learn there's going to be sacrifices and this is the feast that will be celebrated in the kingdom the feast of tabernacles so Israel will live in their full boundaries he told Abraham what they were but it's never happened but in his kingdom it will happen and they will have the exact boundaries that uh, they were promised in Genesis all nations are going to flow to Jerusalem to worship the Lord can you imagine it says there will be like 10 Gentiles that will take hold of the garment of a Jew and say we want to go to Jerusalem with you and worship your God and learn about him can you even imagine that but it will happen 
and Gentile nations are going to celebrate this feast along with the Jews. They did it in that day, and they will also do it in the kingdom. All of the Gentiles will also come, and we will celebrate that one. Now, you and I am going to take you to this feast. And so we're, we're, here's our picture again, and they have a joyful music procession, and I don't know how to pronounce it in Hebrew, so we, we won't even try. It's the water drawing ceremony. And it's called uh, the rejoicing of the water drawing at the Feast of Tabernacles. So you have now a good background for the Feast of Tabernacles, why we're celebrating, why we're there, and you in your mind, you are there with me, right? Oh, good. And you've got your little booth? Yes. Okay. Now, the Pool of Siloam, we know it's key in this festival. It's used for cleansing and purification. And this is the water they're going to go get, and then they're going to take it back, and they're going to pour it on the altar up at the temple. It's a water-drawing ceremony. Now, this is more than just a place to refresh and rehydrate. This is the ritual bath. They're called mikvahs, M-I-K-V-A-H. And this is the largest one in Jerusalem. It's fed by the Gihon Spring which is God, it's that living water. So the water that comes into that pool is from God himself. Now, Borchett, who is a commentator, says, you've got to take the pool of Siloam and intersect it with the Feast of Tabernacles. You have to put those two things together. He said, because the water that they're going to use is from the pool of Siloam, so you cannot separate the two things. So I'm showing you this picture again. We've used it a couple of weeks. You see the green circle at the bottom, the Pool of Siloam. And that road up there towards the yellow one is called the Pilgrim's Road to the Temple. Now I showed you pictures, I think it was last week, after 70 AD and all the destruction that's come. You know how cities over there, they build on top of stuff and they build and they build. They have now, they're excavating this road which is actually underneath and you can actually walk on some of it now. What happened? Okay. I must have done something. Okay. And so they, this is a tourist thing now. And remember, it's about a quarter of a mile. So I want you to see that. So here's step one. Every morning, the procession of priests would descend the steps from the temple, and they're going to go down to the pool of Siloam. Remember, and when we go down, we're going humble hearts. It's an act of humility, and we keep that posture before God himself. They're going to take a golden pitcher, and they're going to dip it into that living water. So here is a picture of them doing that. You see the priest, my little yellow circle. There's his gold vessel. He's going to dip it in there. There are people all over the place. They're covering the steps. There are trumpets blowing. There are flutes. And we're chanting Psalm 113 to 118. So all of this is going on. It is a joyous festival. Each day the priest, this is going to go on for seven days. Each day the priests are going to carry water from the pool of Siloam and they are going to go pour it out of a golden vessel and it reminds the Jews where did the water come from in the wilderness from the rock so it's being reminded the water came from the rock Jesus Christ so th this is a picture of that here's Moses out there with the children of Israel it was literal water from the rock 
and it was life-sustaining. They had to have it for life. Now, the Pool of Siloam is mentioned three times in the Bible, and if you like numerology like I do, three is the number of divinity. And so the Pool of Siloam is mentioned three times in the Bible. And they take the water out of the Pool of Siloam every day for seven days, and they are basing all of this tradition on uh, Isaiah 12. And so one of the scriptures from there, it says, With joy, and remember this is a joyous occasion, a joyous festival. With joy, you're going to draw water from the well of salvation. It's the living water. So this is everything that they are trying to portray. So here's a high priest. They do this every year still in Israel, in Jerusalem. The high priest has his pitcher, and remember it's gold, and gold stands for divinity in the Bible. That's why it's gold. Now, number two, they're going to be accompanied by the congregation of the people. And we have already talked about there are bukus of people there, right? Extra people living in all these little booths everywhere. And they're all following this water-drawing ceremony. Now, this is interesting because their vessel, they get three logs of water a day. And it, this is equal to about two pints. Three is the number of divinity. And it's in a and then uh, uh, the picture that's gold that is also divinity. Okay. Now, they do this for seven days, and seven in Hebrew is Sheba, and we know that it means complete. So they're going to carry water for seven days. This is going to sound a lot like the Battle of Jericho before we get done. Now, three logs for seven days, basic math, three times seven. How many logs of water are they going to carry in seven days? 21 very good now when they get up there they're going to pour it in two silver basins now here we go to numerology which i love 21 in the bible is the number of carnality they're carrying 21 that's all of our carnality every day seven is completion and silver always speaks of redemption yeah wow thank you Yes, I love y'all's aha moments. So when we put all the pieces of the puzzle together, this is our high priest, because it's the priest down there doing this. He has completely redeemed us from our carnal nature. That's what this water-drawing ceremony symbolizes. Now, number eight, they are reminded of God's provision, and it comes from that rock, which is Jesus Christ. The living water is life-sustaining. Now, number nine, I'm showing you the road again, just so you keep it in mind. And we have a gold pitcher, and the priest is carrying the pitcher that has three logs of water in it. Now, there's some people up at the temple waiting, because remember, we had a quarter of a mile down, and we have to gather that, and then we've got a quarter of a mile back ascending up to the temple. When they see, oh, they're about here, they're about here, then they, they have a threefold trumpet blast out of silver trumpets. Silver always speaks of redemption. So this is what's going on, and they toot their silver trumpets, and we know now that they are now approaching, approaching the temple. So everybody's gathering. Number 11, each day they're going to go around the temple, around the altar up there one time. Sounds like Jericho. Okay. And they have two silver basins, and they get up there and they start praying for rain. Now, number 12, 
In Israel, we know it doesn't rain during the summer very much, and the ground can get very hard. They need gentle rain to soften the ground so it can be prepared for the fall planting. Water was often scarce. The people were very much aware we've got to depend on God for the rain because it's vital to preserve their lives. So, number 13, they pour wine into one of the vessels and they pour water into the other one and they are praying for rain. Now, as the water and wine are poured into the bowls, now we've got all the music. The orchestra is going to come into play now and they're going to be the trumpets and I don't know what all. Um, I know a flute. And the people are going to start reciting Psalm 113 to 118. And so this is going on. Can you imagine the commotion and, and all of the hullabaloo that's going on? Okay. Now, they are quoting Psalm 118. And when they get to the last couple of verses, this is what it says. Save now, O Lord. Remember, Jesus is there. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So this is what they're saying, and all of this is going on. There's worshipers who have been waiting because they have been gathering the palm branches. And so the palm branch people, they have their palm branches, and as all of this is going on, they are waving their palm branches to the north, the south, the east, and the west, signifying that one day God's going to rule over all the world and all the nations. See, they're celebrating the future. So finally, the priest is going to hold up the two silver vessels, and he holds them up, and he says, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation. So y'all got the scene? You know what's going on. Isaiah 12 is being sung to remind the nation we've got to put complete trust in Yahweh and the promise of salvation that's revealed by his name. He is the only source of salvation. He's the only source of life. And I want you uh, to go with me now to the first six verses of Isaiah 12. It's significant for where we're going to go after we say this these six verses I've got flutes going on I've got a choir chanting I've got trumpets blowing waters being poured out Lord I'm going to praise you though you were angry with me your anger is turned away now and you comfort me behold God you're my salvation I'm going to trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and song and he has become my salvation verse 4 in that day now, if you've been with me very long, you know you ought to have a box around it, a star by it. In that day, that's the Lord's day, and it refers sometimes to the tribulation period, but most of the time to the millennial kingdom. In that day, here's what you're going to say. Praise the Lord and call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all of the earth. I want you to stop and I want you to focus on verse 6 think about where we are and what's going on y'all ready verse 6 cry out and shout you inhabitants of Zion great is the holy one of Israel in your midst and there he was did they recognize it no 
but they're saying that and you and I we know what's going on we know who's there and we learn in the Bible he's there he's there and they're just saying great is the Holy One of Israel among you but they don't recognize it the Messiah who had been sent to Israel during that Roman occupation of the land during the time of Jesus Christ he is the Holy One in their midst and they don't even recognize it the Pharisees Oh, we go back to the teachers. We go back to the ones that are supposed to be the shepherd. The Pharisees that accused Jesus of being a sinner for healing on the Sabbath, they didn't even recognize that he was the Holy One in their midst, even though they're saying it. They should have known, they should have known the Scriptures better than any of them. They're blinded by the eye of the flesh of pride in their position and lack of understanding of the law. The Psalms and the prophets whose writings they should have understood and they were supposed to teach the people because those people didn't have this like you and I do. The Pharisees, their religious leaders were supposed to teach them and prepare them and they weren't. What did Isaiah say about these watchmen? He said, the watchmen are blind, they're all without knowledge, they're like a dumb dog, they cannot bark, they're dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber, the dogs have a mighty appetite, they never have enough. The shepherds also have no understanding, they turn to their own way, to their own gain, one and all. That's pretty severe words. Jesus used the same figure in reference to the Pharisees when the disciples asked him about the Pharisees' attitude towards Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 15? The disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees are offended when they heard this statement? And Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant is going to be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind, and if the blind man guides the blind man, both are going to fall into the pit. Number 17, all-night revelry led up to this morning libation because they do the morning thing every morning this is a time of joy so great that one of the rabbis said if you have never seen the joy of this water drawing festival in your life you have never seen joy it was a joyous occasion so I have about 11 pictures if you'll just look up here uh, this is an actual water libation ceremony that took place in Jerusalem in 2017 so you can see them, they're ascending down uh, the steps there, and you can see they're getting the water out of the pool of Siloam. You can see that now they're going to, they have the water, and they are going to be ascending back up to the temple. You see he's got it, and they are preparing to go back up, and this guy has a clarinet. I don't believe there was a clarinet in Jesus' day, but anyway, they have some instruments. And now you see he's holding the vessels up and you can see they are ascending and they're on that road back to uh, the temple. And uh, here's another picture. If you've never been to Jerusalem, there you can see how crowded the houses are together. And they use a lot of this white-looking limestone or rock. Okay, so here they are. They're getting closer and here's the guys with the silver trumpets and uh, there's a lot of people around uh, taking part in this festival and then when you get up here you see they have the two silver basins they're at the up at the what would have been the temple square i don't know exactly where they are maybe uh, close to the western wall 
I don't know. So anyway, they're doing this. And then you see the trumpets, and they have all of this uh, ceremony. Uh, they also have uh, Isaiah 12, and that's out there for the people to read and so forth. This is the western wall. You can see how crowded it is, and you can see how it is wall-to-wall -wall people. So that's just some pictures from an actual water libation during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. You and I are now going to go to day seven. Day seven special. And it's called Hoshana Rabbah. And it means great salvation. And it's based on with joy you're going to draw water from the well of salvation. So on this day the high priest is going to be in his very finest garb. And he's going to officiate with a huge contingent of similarly attired priests. Now, the trumpets are blowing, they're singing the psalms and the palm branches, the procession around the altar. How many times today? Oh, do, just like Jericho. Seventh day, we're going to do seven times around the altar. And the people are crying out, save us now. The Jews are reenacting a tradition that will never satisfy their heart. That's sad, isn't it? Jesus offers the very fulfillment of the very thing they are celebrating. He is the living water. He is the eternal satisfaction, and he's going to stand there and offer it to him on the seventh day. Jesus claims to be the source of living water to all who will come to him and drink. He fulfills, just like John wants us to see, everything in the feast, he fulfills it. Everything it symbolizes, it is Jesus. Oh, we have a prophecy alert for those of us that love prophecy and always looking for it. John 7, starting at verse 37. Yes. See if you can find the prophecy. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart is going to flow rivers of living water. But he's speaking about the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What is my prophecy? The coming of the Holy Spirit. He tells them right here, this is a prophecy alert if you're looking for him. Jesus came, he's standing there, he cries out, he's offering them a drink from himself. It's the same one their ancestors had drunk physical water. They drank it out of the, the physical rock. He now is the rock and they can have the living water out of him. His offer shows I'm far more than just a prophet, I'm not an agent. I am God himself offering them that living water the wells of salvation he's offering them living water so they can have a spiritual life even as their ancestors had the water to have a physical life after they received the water out there in the wilderness so in the last day the great day of the feast jesus stood and he cried you thirsty that's what they're doing this water drawing ceremony he says if you're thirsty come to me and drink and ladies, look at this picture. This is what should be in every one of you if you are born again. He said, if you believe on me, out of your belly or your heart should be flowing rivers of living water. If it's not flowing out of you, there's a problem. It's got to be flowing. He says it will be out of you 
he said but he's talking about the holy spirit the living water is the holy spirit he says out of he's speaking about the spirit those who believed in him they will receive him but the spirit hadn't yet been given why because he's still there among them he has to go to heaven and be glorified and then he sends the holy spirit to live in us okay and he tells them in john 16 7 i tell you the truth it is expedient to your advantage that i go away because if i don't go away and I still him here walking with you like the disciples, like Peter, who couldn't, who, he was always in trouble when Jesus is right there. But what happened to Peter when Jesus went away and then Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is in him? Wow, did he change. That's what it's supposed to do to you and me. So the priest, can you imagine the uproar? We're still at the temple. Can you imagine the priest have just poured out the water libation as an appeal God, creator, please provide water for these people. And Jesus, he's standing there. I'm the answer to your prayer. Come to me for the water. What a radical statement and shocker it must have been. He claimed to be none other than the creator himself. When Jesus uttered this messianic fulfillment, see, here's a fulfillment to this ceremony can you imagine a thunderclap in the midst of all the silence now that's going to fall upon the ears of everyone? Can you imagine how everything stopped? For seven days, they had watched this ceremony carried out as water was brought from the pool of Siloam through the area of the fountain gate. You know, you can't help but feel sorry for these people described in John 7 people who responded to Jesus in the wrong ways. Had they willingly received the truth and acted with sincere obedience, they would have ended up at the feet of Jesus, confessing him as the Messiah and the Son of God, like the man who was born blind will do in chapter 9. So, now it's time for spiritual application. This is where we apply it to us. Okay, we have been on this journey around the gates of Jerusalem. It is a journey that starts in the upper right corner at the Sheep Gate when I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and the blood of Christ. I accept his blood-bought atonement. I'm covered with the blood, and I have his righteousness. And then we've been to the Fish Gate, the Old Gate. We better have built our broad wall. We've been to the Valley Gate. We've been to the Dung Gate. And now... If we don't leave, if we don't stay at the Dung Gate, we will never, never, never have the Fountain Gate. That's part of it. Now, at the Valley Gate on our spiritual journey, this is where trials and tribulations, sometimes dark valleys, come into our lives. This is to refine us. This is to keep polishing us. And what is it supposed to do? It brings me into a posture of humility before our God. And then we go to the Dungate. It was next. And this is where I come to absolute surrender. No matter what you bring into my life, it's absolute surrender to him. And I've got to begin cleansing. I claim 1 John 1, 9, and it, that if I confess my sins, he is just, and he will forgive me of my sins. He cleanses me. That's what the pool of Siloam is all about. And then I'm a clean vessel. And then he can use me. 
And what happens after the dung gate? I get to the fountain gate, and he says, when you come in absolute surrender, you keep that vessel clean, and you ask him to take away from you everything that's not like Jesus, Woo! the Holy Spirit comes, and he's the one that will lift you into the power gate of the fountain gate. You cannot get there on your own, in your flesh. It's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what was the condition to have the rivers of living water? He that believeth on me is what he said in John 7, 37 through 39. So Jesus promised something. Remember the lady at the well, the Samaritan lady? He said it will be a well of water in you, a deep well of water in you that will spring up into everlasting life. Now in John 7, he tells you, those of you that believe on me, out of your heart, out of your belly, is going to flow rivers of living water, and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that will cause all that living water to flow out of you. You got the well? Well, it's supposed to result in an overflow or a river. Now, living water was to be released from the Messiah through the promised Holy Spirit, and it will create a fountain gate in me to all that will come and drink from him. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and we're going to do a slight rabbit trail. Y'all with me? Okay. I believe I can take the passages here in John and show very clearly that salvation and being baptized by the Holy Spirit is one experience that happens at the same time. So let's go through it quickly. Now, I know there are some people that teach that it's two different experiences. So we're gonna, I'm going to walk through that, and I'm telling you what I believe. So salvation is represented by my yellow rope. Some people say, when you're born again, you get the yellow rope. You get the well of salvation, and you're born again. But they say you don't get the blessing of the Holy Spirit till another time later. And that's the green rope. I believe the Bible teaches that I don't receive Christ at salvation and add the Holy Spirit later. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's biblical. Now, just stay with me. We do not get the well at salvation, but I'm lacking the river until I get a second blessing somewhere, and I don't know where. But salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are one blessing. He said your well is supposed to overflow into a river. So if I break these two things into two different experiences, what am I essentially saying? I've got the well. I've got Jesus. That's the life of Jesus Christ in me. But I have no possibility of the overflow, the Holy Spirit, unless I get another blessing. Some people teach that, but I'm trying to show you that I don't believe it. I'm trying to show you scripturally why. So I believe the Bible teaches that salvation and being baptized by the Holy Spirit are one and the same thing. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 tells me that I am complete in Christ. When I have him, I have it all. I have everything. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and I'm complete in him. So, the well, I get the well, I get the river. Now, the problem is some of us don't let the river turn on and flow. That's up to me and my obedience. There the result. Is Christ in me? Yes. Do I have the Holy Spirit in me? Yes. I have the life of Christ, but for that river to start flowing, I'm at the dung gate. I stayed there on that potter's wheel. 
and then he is the power that will get it going and flowing out of me and I'm doing things that are out of character for me <laughs> the love of Christ being shed abroad in my heart the fruit of the spirit being produced in me and I had nothing to do with it except I'm obedient at the Dungate and then the river starts flowing and I'm surprised I'm surprised when I can keep my mouth shut <laughs> okay however ladies we all need to grow we all need to come to him and that for the life of Christ to be manifested in us the indwelling of Christ has to come overflow from you and only the Holy Spirit can do it if you think you can imitate Jesus I don't think it's possible I can't imitate him but the Holy Spirit can make it a reality in my life now I think I counted one time there's at least 50 commands on us as new believers in the in the New Testament and so one of them's like live a life of righteousness walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called walk as children of light and it goes on and on and he says don't quench don't grieve the spirit okay I've got all these rules in front of me I've got all these commands in front of me and here I am I've got Jesus in me but I'm not submitted to the Holy Spirit who's in me but I'm not submitted what am I trying to do what I did for years tearing my hair out trying to be the Christian that I thought I was supposed to be by all my activity by doing all these things how can I live a life pleasing to God I was a type A spiritual hamster and I was trying to become spiritual by all my activity everything that I was doing and then I would feel guilty because I, I couldn't do it so then I would feel guilty and I would feel condemned and then I'm, I'm going and confessing again asking God please help me I want to do this I want to be who you want me to be but I kept trying to do it in the energy of my own flesh y'all with me okay now there's Paul in Romans 7 he said I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I'm not doing it and what I hate I'm turning around and doing it yeah we all identify with this this is a carnal Christian lip trying to live the Christian life in the strength of their flesh I stayed in Romans 7 longer than Paul I stayed there a long time I want you to notice in chapter 7 in 10 verses the law is mentioned 21 times I or me I'm trying to do it it's me it's me it's me 40 times I understand Paul's uh, his, how he couldn't live the life how many times was the Holy Spirit mentioned zip none because it's me trying to live it and Paul says who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death thanks be to God who will deliver us turn the page to chapter 8 chapter 8 eyes only mentioned twice and now the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times who's going to live this life in you the Holy Spirit alone it says the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is the one that dwells in you so ladies look at my picture again this is what is supposed to be in every one of us when we have become born again rivers of living water should be flowing out of us and it's going to be done as we submit to the Holy Spirit and then it just flows out of us he does the work and I can't believe it sometimes and he's doing it all controlled by the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you're born again, and it only happens once. But you're going to need many fillings of the Holy Spirit as you walk this life. The Spirit enters my life. He cleanses me. He gets possession of my heart. His power, His strength are available to me from the moment I receive Jesus as my Savior. He's there, and I'm sealed. So, living this life of righteousness and obeying all these commands, I need the ministry of the Holy Spirit and His control for me to be able to live that life that I'm called to live. It stresses the need of the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is God's enabling agent for dealing with all those forces against me, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and my own worst enemy is myself. So salvation, you got a well? Jesus told the woman at the well, there was, he's the well. He is the well. And now the river is there, and it has potential. The potential was in me all those years. For the rivers of living water to flow out of me but the river cannot flow until all the hindrances to the flow are removed look at my dirty river this is me when I needed a roto-rooter job you must keep your vessel clean how is the Holy Spirit going to have any control if we're all clogged up with stuff that needs to be confessed he will never have control. Those rivers of living water cannot flow out of you. You've got to get rid of all the clutter because the potential is there for you to live that abundant life that he came to give us. The Holy Spirit cannot flow in me if I have a lot of unconfessed sin, if I'm pushing my own agenda, or if I've got a hard heart. He cannot flow. Whoever believes in me, if you believe in him, he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. Nothing needs to be added to the flow. Some people said, you need to add this so you can live that life. The Bible says you don't need to add anything. You've got it all when you're born again. What do I need to do? There's something that needs to be subtracted, and it's my old man, my flesh. Because John says, he must increase and I have to decrease. The more you would see my old flesh in that picture, the Holy Spirit will fade. Not that I don't have him, but he's losing control of me. And I don't have his power in my life. So we're at the first power gate, ladies. There's three of them. And the first power gate is this fountain gate, and it speaks to me of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that are mine when I'm obedient at the dung gate. So this first gate, it will cleanse my life. It empowers me, gives me that spirit-filled walk, walking in the spirit. He is to make known to me and to make experiential to me all that Christ is in me. I have it all. And if when I get on that potter's wheel, when I get uh, submitted at the dung gate, the Holy Spirit will make the life of Christ a reality in me. I have victory over my circumstances. I have victory over sin in my life. The fruit of the Spirit starts being produced in me. That's that living water. That's that abundant life. So the key to overflow, he works through my will. He's working through my conduct, my faith, and my personality. If I yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what happens? 
It turns on the power, and the flow can start. It's there, but you've got to give him permission to turn on the flow. I love this when I do the yielding, he does the flowing. <laughs> That's pretty simple. Francine, just keep yielding. Keep your vessel clean, and he will flow. It's really that simple. It's just hard to keep ourselves in a posture of humility and keep our vessel clean and surrendered and put ourselves to death. So, do we have an importance here of spiritual preparedness? When Joshua was going to take the children of Israel into the promised land, this is their inheritance. It's our abundant life. And what does he say? Um, he put them three days on the shore of the Jordan River, and that thing is overflowing. It's at flood stage, and there's rapids. And I don't have a boat. I don't have anything. <clears throat> and he says, put away everything in your life that's displeasing God. Examine yourself. Are you willing to step over? Are you willing to consecrate yourself to God? The word consecrate in Hebrew is kadash, and it's a the hith pale stem. I don't even know what that means, but it makes me sound smart to have it on there. But this is the reflexive, the reflexive, and it means you set yourself apart. It's you prepare yourself. It's a personal responsibility when he says consecrate yourself. Now, if there's a lack of consecration on my part because I will not keep my vessel clean, I won't confess my sin, and there's sin that needs to be confessed. If, I won't, if there's a lack of commitment on my part for God's purpose in my life, what is his purpose? Conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's his purpose for every one of us. And if I won't be committed to that, and if I don't consecrate myself, I hinder, ladies, this is a, a sobering statement. I hinder the power of God in my life. See, it's a personal responsibility. I can hinder him working in my life. A.W. Tozer says, When we have the Holy Spirit, I have everything that's needed to be everything God wants me to be. The Holy Spirit will do it all if we just let him. He can transform me from that old carnal Christian I was for years into a spirit-filled Christian that's having victory over sin, victory over circumstances, etc. My relationship with God is my number one focus. I know that if I take care of that, God will take care of everything else. And when I'm taking care of my relationship with Him, it will bring power of God in my life, and it will bring power of God in your ministry. I want you to notice, this is a... You know, we, we read in the Bible and we just skip over stuff. Say, I can't understand that. Okay. I want you to look at the map. And some of you may have your map with you. There is no section. You see my red dot? That's the dung gate. The little dot with the water in it is the fountain gate. You see how close they are together? This is the only section of wall between the two gates that needed no repair. Think about that. Now, the gate needed repair, but the wall to that did not need any repair because if I'm obedient at the dung gate, I have help immediately from the Holy Spirit. I think that's a great truth. Now, he who calls us, 
he calls me whatever he calls me he is faithful and he will bring it to pass he will do the work in me isn't that a great thing that is divine genius I'm calling you to do this and I'll equip you to do it everything he commands me he will by my consent and me yielding to him he will fulfill that command through me all I have to do is yield and the work gets done he will save me from the futility of self-effort and you don't you can throw your boots away you don't have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps bite the bullet and say I'm gonna be nice to her I've done that oh I can do it well and you know I was told as a kid Francine you can be anything you want to be pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do it that's a lie everything he wants me to be I can be when I yield to him and he does it now if it were not for this divine provision the commands that are on me would be a source of utter frustration like they used to be in my life because I would be a sorry spectacle of a sincere idealist constantly thwarted by my own inadequacy God I cannot live this life and Satan's whispers of poison in my ear all the time all those other people down at the church can do it but you can't I remember those the Holy Spirit will do the work in me and through me when I yield to him and humble myself and ladies when we're at the judgment seat guess what when you're obedient now he's going to give you rewards he's going to reward us and you know what he did all the work he did the work in me he did the work through me but he'll reward me for my obedience what an awesome God we have Jesus cried if any man thirst let him come and drink unto me it was present tense we're to continually keep drinking from that unlimited source and he said in Ephesians 5:19, you are to continually be filled with the spirit because you know what you get clogged up and you have to get confessed and empty fill me up again speak to yourself in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord present tense it's continual Here's our scripture again. If you believe in me, the scripture says streams of living water are going to flow out of you. I have three questions for us as we close. Are the rivers of living water flowing freely in me? Am I continually drinking from the well of salvation? And am I continually being filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's pray.